Section 2 of On Chronic Alcoholic Intoxication, with an inquiry into the influence of the abuse of alcohol as a predisposing cause of disease, by William Marset. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On Chronic Alcoholic Intoxication. The injurious effect upon health, arising from the abuse of wine, beer, or spirits, and generally from all alcoholic stimulants, have been usually considered under two following heads. First, as the immediate consequence of an excessive indulgence on a particular occasion, and secondly, as a result of long-continued intemperance. It is not my intention to dwell upon the immediate action of alcohol upon the human body, producing drunkenness, this subject having been admirably treated by Drs. Trotter, footnote, an essay, Medical, Philosophical, and Chemical on Drunkenness, 1804, and footnote, MacNish, footnote, The Anatomy of Drunkenness, 1832, and footnote, and Roche, footnote, De Labus des Boisons Spiritueses, 1839, and footnote, and more recently by Dr. Carpenter in his valuable prize essay on the use and abuse of alcoholic liquors in health and disease. I purpose to direct the reader's attention to a most distressing form of disease affecting the nervous system, which those unfortunate persons who persist in drinking to excess seldom escape and which constitutes a state of prolonged or chronic poisoning. This affection is known by the name of chronic alcoholic intoxication or chronic alcoholism, and is thus defined by Magnus Huss. The name chronic alcoholism applies to collective symptoms of a disordered condition of the mental, motor, and sensory functions of the nervous system, these symptoms assuming a chronic form, and without their being immediately connected with any of those organic modifications of the central or peripheric portions of the nervous system which may be detected during life or discovered after death by ocular inspection such symptoms moreover affecting individuals who have persisted for a considerable length of time in the abuse of alcoholic liquors the habit of indulging too freely in spirituous beverages even without their producing intoxication is often attended at first with no apparent evil result and there is little or no warning given of the injury done to the constitution but sooner or later the injurious effects of excess and frequent alcoholic libations will become obvious occurring sometimes under the form of delirium tremens although much more frequently assuming the condition of the chronic disease which will be subsequently described the difference between delirium tremens and chronic alcoholism is distinctly marked the former consists of an acute and violent disturbance of the functions of the nervous system bearing a strong resemblance to that most formidable disease, inflammation of the brain in its membranes. It is not a chronic or vague complaint, Watson. The hallucinations are of a most frightful character, keeping the patient in a state of excessive terror and excitement. According to McNish, delirium tremens lasts for four to ten days. Chronic alcoholism, although resembling the other affection in a mitigated condition, assumes the form of a protracted illness, with none of the paroxysms of violent delirium so peculiar to delirium tremens. Chronic alcoholic intoxication, again, is a state of long and uninterrupted suffering, allowing the patient no rest day or night. He may have given up the habit of drinking before the outbreak of the disease, or if attacked during a period of excessive indulgence, he may endeavor by a great effort to shake off his old and pernicious habit. But even if successful, he will not, unfrequently disappointed in the hope of regaining his lost health. Week after week, month after month, year after year, he patiently waits for the termination of his sufferings and endeavors to apply the remains of his strength 
to such occupations as will tear him away for the time from his miseries, although he usually finds himself so weak that he is denied even this poor source of relief. My attention having been directed for several years to an inquiry into the symptoms and treatment of the disorder in question, I have decided upon communicating in this little volume the results of those inquiries to the medical profession and the public. I shall begin with a description of the symptoms of chronic alcoholic intoxication. The circumstances predisposing the individual to suffer from the disease will next be duly investigated, to be followed by an inquiry into the immediate causes of the attack, and a short account of certain diseases resembling chronic alcoholism, although not depending on excess in spirituous drinks. I shall afterwards insist more particularly on the treatment of the disorder, and show how effectually it may be placed under medical control, offering a faithful report of 48 cases which have fallen under my care. The notes of these cases have been taken during the patient's visits, and consequently do not depend for accuracy upon mere recollection. Footnote. A synoptical table is appended to this treaty, giving an account of 48 cases of chronic alcoholism treated by the author at the Westminster Hospital. End footnote. Symptoms of Chronic Alcoholism Dr. Carpenter's prize essay, page 30, alludes to the symptoms of chronic alcoholism in the following words. It is important to remark that a slighter form of the disorder, delirium tremens, marked by tremors of the hands and feet, deficiency of nervous power, and occasional illusions, will sometimes occur as a consequence of habitual tippling, even without intoxication having been once produced. And a still slighter manifestation of the want of control of the muscular apparatus, the trembling of the hands, and the execution of a voluntary movement, is familiar to everyone as extremely frequent among the habitually intemperate. Dr. Carpenter further observes, page 46, that the effects of drunkenness are highly inimical to a permanent healthy state of the brain, is often proved at a great distance of time from the course of intemperance, and long after the adoption of regular habits. The remote effects of alcoholic poisoning have also been very ably considered by a French author, Roche, but he includes chronic alcoholism among a number of other diseases resulting indirectly from long-continued intemperance, and thus omits classification which is of the highest importance respecting the treatment of the disorder in question. The symptoms of the disease depend on a functional disturbance of the nervous system, which may last for weeks, months, or years, even after the habit of excessive drinking has been given up. On first applying to his medical adviser, the patient will probably not state the cause of his illness and thus seriously mislead the physician in his estimation of the nature of the complaint. If we try to account for this difficulty of establishing the cause of the disease in cases of chronic alcoholism, it will be found that in some instances the patient is ashamed of his intemperance and will not confess it. In others, he considers that the nature of his occupation is such as to require an excessive amount of drink, he is seldom or never drunk. In his opinion, he takes no more than is absolutely required, and he is not aware of his suffering from alcoholic stimulants. Some will possibly disbelieve that their illness can be owing to the abuse of alcoholic liquors, as they have been under a pledge to drink very little or none at all for some time previously. But it will be noticed in the course of the examination that before taking the pledge, these individuals were thorough drunkards and had been obliged to give up drinking on account of their health. Finally, in those instances where the mind has been affected through frequent fits of drunkenness and repeated attacks of delirium tremens, the patient may be unable or unwilling to give plain answers to the questions 
of the physician. He will perhaps endeavor to turn aside the conversation and adroitly avoid the subject. I have observed a well-marked instance of this kind in a boy of 18, whose case I had great difficulty at first in making out. But a fortnight afterwards, his health having been much improved, he gave me a clear account of his illness. There is something peculiar in the look and gait of individuals in the habit of drinking to excess, or even of habitual tipplers, which will greatly assist in discovering the nature of the complaint, even before addressing the patient. His peculiar complexion, often sharp features, or, if he be fat, the injected cheeks and nose, and their violet appearance, the trembling of the limbs, often of the whole body, or a want of steadiness and coordination in the movements, not very unlike incipient cholera. All these are so many symptoms the medical practitioner will not fail to observe. On conversing with such patients, their intellect will frequently not be found blunted, and the account they give of their suffering is perhaps remarkably clear. Inability to sleep. One of the prominent symptoms of chronic alcoholism is inability to sleep, and great restlessness at night. The sufferer perpetually keeps turning over in bed, and as soon as he shuts his eyes, extraordinary visions, mostly of a painful kind, appear before him. For example, a patient told me he frequently saw a funeral passing as he was endeavoring to compose himself. Sleep, also when obtained, is disturbed by frightful dreams, which appear often to indicate a considerable degree of mental excitement. The patient frequently dreams he has been at his work all night. He awakens in the morning exhausted and almost incapable of any exertion. The ill effect produced on sleep by excessive drinking is well illustrated in the following case of A.T., age 25, case 45. He is in the habit of taking daily one pint of beer and three or four glasses of gin. Once a week on Saturday he increases his allowance to seven or eight pints of beer and five or six glasses of gin. He cannot sleep on the nights of Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, but on Wednesday night he sleeps better, and pretty well on Friday night. He is also troubled with hallucinations and the other usual symptoms of chronic alcoholism, being invariably worse after his Saturday's excess. Trembling. In the daytime, the patient is seized with trembling, especially when in a sitting posture. Some hardly tremble at all when waking. The trembling may be very slight indeed, or confined to a particular part of the body, being frequently visible in the tongue, or it may only occur at intervals. Some merely tremble in the morning on getting up, and many affected by chronic alcoholism experience more or less difficulty in dressing themselves from want of sufficient control over their movements. As already mentioned, there is often much awkwardness in the performance of voluntary motion, even when the body is not subject to conspicuous trembling. Thus, in the act of drinking, a liquid will be spilt from the glass, or a light will be put out instead of being snuffed. It is remarkable how long this condition may last, and how rapidly it disappears under appropriate treatment. Giddiness and headache. The patient also generally complains of great giddiness, more especially when raising the head from the recumbent posture, or when suddenly turning round. Headache and a ringing noise in the ears, tinnitus aureum, are frequent although not constant symptoms. Hallucinations. The occurrence of hallucinations so characteristic of delirium tremens is very often noticed in chronic alcoholism, although to a much more subdued extent. They mostly affect the organs of sight. For instance, one of my patients, when walking in the street, had seen ropes dangling about his head. To another, objects appeared as if they were double. Some perceived occasionally insects creeping about. 
the various visions often disappearing as soon as the attention was directed to them. These factitious perceptions of the sight appear sometimes so real that the individual moves aside to avoid an imaginary object standing in his way. Cabman, case 47, I was treating for chronic alcoholism, told me he frequently pulled up his horse suddenly or drove to one side of the street lest he should run over some obstacle he distinctly saw in front of his horse, and which he afterwards found not to exist in reality. In his case, objects appeared to be multiplied to as many as ten times the real number, so that if a lamp post, a man or a car happened to be near him, he perceived ten lamp posts, or ten men, or as many carts. He could not possibly make out which object was really to be avoided, and was obliged to give up driving on account of the risk of an accident. In most cases, the patient is considerably or perhaps constantly troubled with shadows, or a black mist, or flying specks, musculae voluntantes, passing rapidly before his eyes, and causing a dimness of sight, especially when he is looking attentively at something in the act of reading, for example, the book is suddenly darkened, and a state of almost complete blindness ensues, lasting a few minutes. I have met with instances where patients perceive spots and sparks of all kinds of bright colors. Footnote, Magnus Huss has observed cases of chronic alcoholism where objects appeared peculiarly colored. He reports having met with two instances of hallucinations of the smell, and also with hallucinations of the taste, the patients believing they were drinking brandy instead of water. End of footnote. During the long and sleepless nights, aberrations of sight frequently happen. The wife of a patient I was treating for chronic alcoholism told me her husband often fancied, whilst lying awake, that he saw rats and cats and various other descriptions of animals on the bedclothes. He used to doze at intervals, and in the morning could not recollect anything of the nightly visions. The aberrations of the sense of hearing are not so frequent, but I have met with patients who occasionally heard voices addressing them when nobody was present. Footnote. Magnus Huss has frequently observed a feeling in the limbs of his patients as if they were pricked with needles, formication, and also they sometimes experience peculiar sensation as if something was creeping along their skin. End footnote. Weakness. Great weakness, especially in the knees and hips, which may sometimes be considered as a condition of threatened paralysis, is a prevalent character of chronic alcoholism. Indeed, this symptom is occasionally so severe as to interfere considerably with the various acts of voluntary motion. In one of my cases, case 22, the patient could hardly walk, even with the assistance of a stick, and this symptom continued after he had recovered in other respects. Difficulty of breathing. Difficulty of breathing, perceived in the throat as a sensation of choking, is a frequent symptom of chronic alcoholic intoxication, entirely independent of any affection of the lungs. This symptom was particularly marked in the case of W.B., case 1. He described the feeling as one of choking, his breathing being quite natural for a few minutes, and then becoming suddenly checked. He pointed to the larynx as a spot where he felt an obstacle to the respiration. Upon throwing his head backwards, he admitted through the mouth a quantity of air, and was afterwards able to breathe freely until the return of another spasm. The symptom is possibly owing to the frequent contact of alcoholic drinks, with the glottis and epiglottis, and to the inflammation and tumefaction thereby induced, the action being somewhat similar, although in a greatly mitigated form, to that of strong mineral acids, which have been known to produce death in children from their contact with the glottis and epiglottis. Footnote. A.S. Taylor on Poisons, 2nd edition, page 426.
and footnote. It may be also that these spasms result from the irritation produced by alcohol in the pharynx, inducing a contraction of the larynx by nervous reflex action. Again, Mochardit and Sandris have ascertained that when alcohol is introduced into this system in excess, the blood of the arteries presents the aspect of venous blood, showing that it has not undergone the proper oxygenating process, and it is possible that this circumstance might induce spasmodic contractions of the glottis through the medium of the brain and the spinal cord. It appears that the habit of swallowing air, so frequently met with in those who drink to excess, is in some way or other connected with the difficulty of breathing, which in fact, instead of relieving, as it apparently does at the time, it increases. In several cases, having warned patients of the importance of refraining from swallowing air, the compliance was attended with a considerable decrease of the sensation of choking. The habit of swallowing air, which after a time becomes an unconscious act, is not only extremely unpleasant from the frequent breaking of wind, which it occasions, but is also the source of much intestinal uneasiness, and it is necessary to stop it as soon as possible. Whatever be the cause, spasms of the glottis certainly may occur under the influence of alcohol, as is shown by the following interesting case extracted from the Medico-Chirurgical Transactions for 1837, entitled Case of Recovery from the Insensibility of Intoxication by the Performance of Tracheotomy, by George Sampson, Esquire. The patient, aged 31, was brought to Mr. Sampson's house in a state of complete insensibility of drinking freely of beer and more than a pint of brandy. All voluntary motion is ceased for at least four hours. The stomach pump being used drew off between three and four pints of fluid, the greater part of which appeared to consist of brandy. Every means of exciting vomiting was afterwards vainly applied. The man became more comatose, his countenance turgid, and breathing more and more difficult. The pulse grew fainter and was at last scarcely perceptible. He was then removed to the infirmary, and a consultation was held with the other medical attendants, who arrived in the course of a half hour. At that time, every appearance indicated the rapid approach of death, and there was no ground to justify a reasonable hope of recovery. It occurred to Mr. Sampson, when standing by the patient's bedside, that the extreme difficulty of respiration was owing to the existence of collapse of the glottis, and with this view of the case, he strongly urged that a trial should be given to the operation of tracheotomy. The operation was accordingly performed without loss of time by Mr. Andrews. The windpipe was no sooner opened than the distension of the veins about the head and neck subsided. The violent efforts of the respiratory muscles ceased, and in about half an hour regular and easy respiration through the wound was freely established. At the same time, the pupils became slightly sensible to the stimulus of light, and the pulse returned to the wrist. He continued quiet during the night, but had no return of consciousness till the following morning. The case proceeded very satisfactorily, and the wound being healed in about three weeks, the patient was discharged cured. Having proceeded so far, I shall illustrate the chronic and acute stages of alcoholism. Footnote. By acute stage of alcoholism, this meant delirium tremens. End footnote. By the account of the following case, which, I feel assured, will be read with interest. R.C., aged 32, a cabman, applied to me at the Westminster Hospital as an outpatient on the 16th December 1861, but owing to the severity of his illness, I recommended him for admission as an inpatient. 
On the same day he was put to bed in Dr. Basham's ward and became a patient. For the last five or six years he had been a hard drinker, and particularly so for four or five weeks previous to his admission, during which time he has drunk as much as one quart of gin daily. Twelve months ago he found that the excesses of alcohol he was committing acted injuriously on his health. His digestion and appetite became deficient. He was troubled in the morning with much sickness and vomited a yellow, bitter fluid. To relieve these symptoms, he had recourse to some medicine and gave up gin for ale, taking four or five pints of ale daily instead of a pint of gin, which he found to agree with him better. To this diet he did not, however, adhere long. For two or three months afterwards, he again returned to gin. During the last eight or nine months, his nervous system has been affected. I made out, however, that he had suffered from nervous symptoms previous to that time, and that he had observed them at first together with the derangement of the digestive organs. He meant that for the last eight or nine months, nervous system had been more particularly implicated in the general alteration of his health. He states that there is no other cause but excess of drinking to account for this exacerbation of the nervous symptoms. And on this point, I particularly insisted, knowing that other causes, besides the abuse of alcohol, may bring on chronic alcoholism in intemperate individuals. The disordered condition of the nervous system continued, increasing up to the present time. Since leading an intemperate life, he has not suffered from any illness beyond the derangement of the digestive and nervous functions directly connected with the abuse of alcohol. State of the patient for the last six weeks. Chronic alcoholism. Very little sleep, which is much disturbed by nightmare. Reposes more comfortably at night after he has been drinking on the previous evening, and is most restless if he cannot obtain his evening allowance, as on Saturdays and Sundays when public houses shut early. On these occasions he is more especially troubled with hallucinations on trying to compose himself to sleep. Sensation of giddiness in the morning while lying in bed, occasionally so strong as to make him believe he would fall on getting up. This symptom is accompanied by sickness and occasionally, although not often, by headache. To counteract the state of discomfort, he has a quartern of gin brought to him in bed, which partly succeeds in the object in view. Upon leaving his bed, he sometimes vomits the spirits taken, but frequently the morning dram has the effect of removing the sickness. His eyesight has been gradually failing for this last twelve months, especially at night by artificial light. When reading or looking at anything for a time, a mist forms over his eyes, and the letter press of a book or newspaper suddenly disappears from before his sight. Sometimes he perceives as if brilliant and variously colored sparks were flying about him. He is troubled at times by abnormal perceptions, with his eyes both open and shut, is very subject to trembling and to numbness of the fingers and legs, great weakness which I believe to be, to a certain extent, more ideal than real, from the strength with which he can squeeze my hand with his fingers. Appetite very deficient, his food consists of tea, bread, and butter, and toast. He gave up driving his cab about the 25th of November. The intensity of the above symptoms gradually increased until, in addition to the sickness, the patient began to suffer great pain in the stomach, which prevented him from having recourse to his usual stimulant, and he gave up drinking completely. This abstinence, however, had not the desired effect of relieving the gastric symptoms, which became still more urgent. The disturbance of the nervous system likewise assumes suddenly acute features of a much severe description, and an attack of delirium tremens followed.
Present state, acute alcoholism or delirium tremens. This attack may be considered as having suddenly begun four days after our patient had been obliged to give up drinking. At that period, the nervous and gastric symptoms assume a condition bearing much the same relation to the former stage of the illness as acute rheumatism bears to chronic rheumatism. This acute state of alcoholism commenced on the present occasion by our patient falling asleep, or rather becoming unconscious, and soon afterwards awakening covered with a cold, clammy sweat, which was quickly followed by an attack of trembling so strong as to make the bed shake violently. He felt very cold, weak, and giddy. His thoughts were very confused, and he had no control whatever over himself. Then, various extraordinary objects appeared before him, such as lions, tigers, and other animals, and his eyes were dazed by stars of every color. This state of things lasted for a quarter or half an hour, and then he again dozed. It was, he said, a slight slumber, during which he could hear any noise or anybody speaking. In this condition of semi-consciousness, of which he has vivid recollection, he was harassed by nightmare. He would be, for example, in his stables, kicked by a horse, driving his cab full of luggage, which he could not manage. The patient continued in this state, sometimes awake and sometimes slumbering, for three days and nights, for example, seventy-two hours, the intensity of the attack increasing all the while. When admitted to the hospital, he was rapidly losing all consciousness, so much so that the next day he actually was not aware of his being in a hospital. Since that time, in addition to other hallucinations, he has been haunted by extraordinary devil-like objects. While dozing, he has seen the figures of two females pulling him out of bed by the shoulders for the purpose of dragging him into a well underneath. And when in the act of falling into this well, he suddenly awoke horrified and bathed in cold sweat. I took much pains to endeavor to find out whether the hallucinations were equally present while the patient was dozing and while he was awake, for if he perceived fanciful objects only during a state of sleep or of unconsciously allied to sleep, the hallucinations might be compared to nightmare, as occurs sometimes in a state of health. I gathered from my inquiries that he was less troubled with hallucinations, and felt much more comfortable when awake than when dozing, but I also made out satisfactorily that his sleep or slumber was anything but natural sleep. It was a state of unconsciousness or delirium, the direct result of alcoholic poisoning and the awaking from this state was merely the commencement of a period of temporary remission of the disease. The condition of our patient while dozing might be compared to that of hysteria. Nobody will call hysteric insensibility a natural sleep. Still, on recovering consciousness, the hysteric female believes she is awaking from a light slumber, during which time she has heard, as if in a dream, all that was said by those who stood near her. Of course, beyond the above-mentioned feature, the two diseases hardly bear comparison. Two days after admission to the Westminster Hospital, the state of R.C. began to improve, evinced at first by a slight feeling of appetite and a feeble return of natural sleep at night. He was still troubled with nightmare, but it no longer assumed the distinct form of hallucination, and on awakening, the sights of imaginary objects vanished immediately. The sensation of giddiness gradually left him, the trembling was less severe, and he felt much more comfortable. On the 24th December, when I took the last part of these notes, appetite very good, no gastric pains, tongue slightly furred, did not sleep well last night, owing to the effects of a purgative medicine, 
but lay comfortable. He had slept quite well the night before. Says he feels much better since he has had meat to eat, but I believe it is principally because he is better that he has been able to eat meat. Has eaten more meat these last two or three days than for five or six weeks past. No longer any hallucination. Trembling very trifling, but is still nervous, being startled at any occurrence, is becoming firmer on his legs and more cheerful. Has not felt so well for many months. A state of mild chronic alcoholism now returned. On the 13th of January, 1862, he was discharged from the ward and began attending me as an outpatient. I have entered into details concerning the case, which may appear somewhat too minute, but I was anxious to take this opportunity of illustrating the symptoms of chronic alcoholism and showing the difference between chronic alcoholism and delirium tremens, and I trust this explanation will serve as an apology. End of section 2